Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Uh, we've been singing about Jesus because that's all that matters. We got everything's going on in our life, different reasons why people are here, what you think, but the, the thing is, it's all the same. It's because of Jesus, right? Okay, I carried this up here because I would have forgotten. Gary, that's why I put in the front seat. So I will forget this otherwise. Is Heather in the building right now? Oh. So one of the things I love, um, I love how messy life is and how Jesus makes things just come through out of it. And I love the body of Christ. Uh, last week, if you're here, I mean, hearing testimonies, these, these youth, and then being down the beach, a couple hundred of us. I, I don't understand it. I, I've served as a pastor in this church for 34 years. We do these outdoor baptisms. It's August. How many times do you know it got canceled by storm? Zero. <laughs> like that storm was wicked last Sunday, and it moves through right about the time we're doing baptism. It was just, it's crazy. Now, we have done some baptisms where the waves went over people and all that, too, but... I just, that was just, it was wonderful. And hearing those testimonies, the way young people articulated the work of God in their life. And we worshiped. And I feel like that's what the body of Christ is. No church is perfect, and that's a really good thing, because if it was, you would think you had to be, and we don't. And that's the whole gospel. <laughs> Jesus comes after sinners, right? He's pursuing sinners. Say yay again. That's what he comes after. We need him. So in the body of Christ, we have these trophies of his grace. We see, I know Fred's story. Do you know, how many people know Fred's story? How many don't know Fred's story? Because that's the guys that need to have coffee with him. Because <laughs> he'll just tell you, he'll go on, just tell the one about Jesus all the way through, okay? He's got lots of stories. But how God brought him to himself is astounding. It's like making a stone out of a child of God. Oh yeah, that's what, that's what uh, John preaches today. It's like God just does it, and that's what we have. So I just love being associated with the, with the local church, a local expression of the body of Christ. It's got all the imperfections and all that, but it's got God's grace in it. And that's why I love it, because you guys preach the gospel all the time. So God called Ben Hookman, who married Liz. They met during the, uh, the pandemic, by the way. I was running in the dunes one time and uh, with my buddy Rick, and we're running like, oh, there's Liz. I mean, this is like when you can't see anybody. She's on a picnic table. I don't know that guy. I'm going to ask about that. Did not say anything to her parents, by the way. It was their first day of meeting. It was awesome. Watching how God brought them together. Ben studying for the ministry. He's up at Calvin Seminary. and He's got called to Appleton. So they left. We sent him off. Miss him. And Liz, as you know, was one of the founding teachers at River Life School, this small little school up in Benton Harbor. Benton Harbor need God's grace? Absolutely. So she's in this, this little school up there, and she's one of the founding teachers and all this stuff. So she leaves, what are they going to do? And God brings Heather Rollison, who's changing jobs, making way less money to go work at River Life and take, take Liz's spot. And so this is an underfunded Christian school in the middle of Benton Harbor, and they need resources, and we want to fill the box. So Gary told me to... Uh, to bring that up, and I didn't want to forget it. Can you put that in the back so people see it? Thanks. I don't know where it goes. Justin's got it. Thank you. But that, that is a work of God's grace. Brings this one in. God's always filling gaps, and that's, that's just what he does. All right, we're in that. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 3. We're going to dive into the text. Let me give some introduction 
And who's, who's reading today? Is Taylor here? I didn't see Taylor. Is Taylor here? I can't hear you. Are you going to read for us? I'm not ready yet. Do you know that you're reading? Not, not the whole book. Do you, know, do you know what you're reading? Awesome. Okay. All right, so my granddaughter asked me this great theological question um, a little while ago. My five-year-old granddaughter said, Grandpa, what's your favorite holiday? So being the wise grandpa that I was, I said, what's yours? Didn't want to miss whatever she's asking for a reason. I don't know this five-year-old mind. So Evelyn goes on to talk about how great Christmas is, and she's hardly finished the sentence when she talks about how great Easter is and Thanksgiving and Halloween, which is the kids, that's, I don't think it makes, makes the adult less, but all, she's just talk about all this. She, if you know Evelyn, there's nothing she's ever seen that she's not excited about. So she's just telling us all her exuberance and all these things. And then we started talking about how you get ready for Thanksgiving, how you prepare for that. And Easter's a little different how you prepare for that. And Thanksgiving's a little different, just how, how you do that. And then we talked about if you have a guest coming to the house, how you prepare for that. So I, I grew up in a household where my, um, my parents, they were the first Christians in both families as young adults. And I was a little kid, so I remember it. But one of the things that happened with them is whenever like a missionary or someone came to our church, they always came to our house for a meal. Well, four boys, so you know we weren't helping much with a meal back in the 60s. So my mom, I remember all the preparations that would go on. How do you prepare for someone special coming? Today, what we're really looking at, I don't like to call him John the Baptist. I like to call him John the Preparer. Because that's his whole life. His, his whole ministry. And John's actually moved this narrative pretty, or John, Matthew's moved the narrative pretty quickly. Chapter two was childhood. Now we're jumping right to adult life. And we're introduced to a man in this gospel narrative. His whole life is about preparing people to meet Jesus. That's his ministry. That's his life's work. And he's absolutely serious about it. And we can see it in his preaching. But let's back up. In any narrative, we got to remember where we just came from, why it's written like it is. So again, thinking of Matthew's audience first century Jewish audience, Matthew has some things he really wants us to understand. So he goes into Jesus' genealogy. Why? He wants to show us that Jesus is in the line of the son of David. Why? He wants us to see that this Jesus they've heard about, they've heard that he's risen from the dead. As the gospel has gone out, they've heard that. So he wants them to see the church who's under persecution Jesus, this was God's plan. And he goes through all these prophecies. Act chapter 4, in the childhood of Jesus, the birth narrative in Matthew is, is sentences. He, chapter 2 has got all these different things in his early childhood, which you remember this, it shows a number of interventions of God. God shows up, or an angel show up in, in visions four times in chapter 2. Three times to Joseph. Remember Joseph of the Old Testament, and here's Joseph of the New Testament, and to the Magi. And each of them are God's intervention giving specific direction to them. Here's God, the verification of God. Here's these prophecies. He goes through four different prophecies in chapter two. 
Here's what God said hundreds of years before. Here's what he did. Here's who Jesus, because he wants them to know it with, with authenticity, to strengthen them, because these guys are going through persecution. He wants them to know this is, this is the promised one. This is the Jesus. And now he jumps here to John the preparer. So here's how this part of the narrative is going to go. Um, Taylor's going to read the first 12 verses in a moment. And it flows like a story. So stories start, there's, there's kind of like the setting, the plots building, there's this, this, uh, this rise in tension. So right in the beginning, he just tells us about John. He kind of summarizes his teaching. Uh, he tells us where John is. He tells us what he looks like. He tells us what's going on with the people. And then you kind of, what's going to happen? And then right in the middle of this narrative, the, the religious establishment comes out from Jerusalem. And then you're going to hear John or Matthew summarize the teaching. Now, now John gets really pointed. And if he's preparing people for Jesus, as the prophet Isaiah says, now he gets pointed in how he speaks to this religious establishment. So I say he's preparing them for Jesus, first of all, by confrontation and warning of judgment. And then he prepares them by saying, this is what Jesus is like. In just a couple of verses, he says it. So we're going we're gonna to read the narrative. We're going we're gonna to just kind of walk through the scenes. And then I want us along the way to be thinking about what's the implications here for us. Because essentially in John's preaching, it has repentance in mind, which isn't a word we use a lot, but it means something here. So really the whole main, if you say, what's kind of to summarize? This is John's ministry preparing people for Jesus. But it happens through his preaching, particularly about repentance. And what we see clearly, that is a work of God. And that's why we're here. Because that's what we need. So would you stand with me? We're, gonna, we're starting to, Taylor, come. We're starting to stand in the reading of God's word, just in honor of the word to separate this part from the rest. This is Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. Thank you. In those Days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who, ha- who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. 
but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray as we stand. Father, we've heard it read. Would you open the, our ears, our spiritual ears, our, our minds, our hearts, in a way to hear from you and to receive this. There's, there's a reason why you had this recorded for us. And even there's a reason why this day, this August 14th, you have us here to hear it. So I, I simply pray, I ask on all of our behalf that you would, your word would have its way in our lives. You are the only one who knows every single person, every single depth question, everything in us, all present and all listening on the internet. And we thank you for what you will do with that. We ask this in faith, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to do this as we typically do. What I want to do is kind of walk through the narrative, um, the gospel narrative. And again, one of the beauties of that is, is um, as opposed to just making statements, truth statements, we're supposed to feel some things that are going on. It's to get us into the story. That, that's one of the beauties of gospel. And, but ultimately, it's to see Jesus, Okay. And so as we understand, we're trying to understand some things, I want to think about the implications at the very end of that. So I, I'll, try, I'll drop some of that along the way, but hopefully you'll track with me. I, I think there's things to write down and just go through later. Uh, I know I talk fast, um, so this won't be different. Uh, if you miss something, don't worry about it. If you want to ask for notes, you can just email the office, okay? But everything I say is not written down here. So trust God for it. Uh, so the setting, this is how this begins. John's message is fulfilling prophecy in the opening scene. So typical, there's, a, there's an introduction. That's what he's doing really in the first six verses. Um, he tells us, first of all, where John is preaching in the wilderness. So think now not like us in New Buffalo. Think Jewish audience, first century. So how do they, how do they think wilderness? Matthew's readers, I mean, they would have they remembered Israel's history. They grew up with stories of the wilderness wanderings. What was that like for them in the wilderness? About 40 years they're in the wilderness. And that was the time period amongst them where they have, God has brought them out of slavery, 400 years of slavery. How old's our country? 400 years of slavery. So as he brings them out, Egypt was a polytheistic culture. As he brings these people out, they didn't know who God was. Some stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it was distant to them. They were people that had been in bondage. That's how they lived. He brings them out through these miraculous signs, but it's in the wilderness where they are. They're wandering for, for 40 years. They're, where's the food going to come from? Where's the water going to come from? What about the clothing? All these things in this great need, God takes care of them, and it's in the wilderness where they meet with God, where God comes to them. Not Egypt. It's in the wilderness where God, there's visual forms of him, fire and cloud and smoke and, and God reveals himself and the law, what it means to be his people, what, what he, how he wants them to understand him and how he wants them to, they're learning of God in the wilderness. And I would just say in terms of wildernesses in our own lives, they're actually good places though they're places of great need. Needs will always be in our life. They will always be. Needs should have us turn our attention to Jesus. And I was talking with someone just two days ago about this. 
Why is it, oh, no, it's last night. Remember who this was now. Why is it that that's the place where I grow? We actually, we're going back and forth. Can you grow without great need? We're, we're trying to wrestle that through. I, I think you can, but just see, it's that time of great need where God wants to draw you near. Here's John in the wilderness. They would, they would have had that sense of something in the wilderness. Not an exciting place, but God shows up in the wilderness. What is John doing there? It says that he is preaching, and the message, I think, summarized. I think there's many more words he's using, but it is simply repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How would they have heard that message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is hand. It's interesting when we get to chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, when Matthew writes this, that's the exact same phrase that Jesus uses when he begins his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven. What, what are they thinking about the kingdom of heaven? They'd, they'd heard Messiah stories all growing up. What did, what did they think this kingdom would be like? Well, there's all kinds of misconceptions. All kinds of them. That's not too big for God. Don't you, people have misconceptions about God all the time, don't they? Right here in this room, probably. We've got, probably got a lot of things that we think about him that he just, he's just not like. I, I, um, this morning I was doing an early class talking about the last trip to Central Asia at the other campus and uh, someone was walking by. I don't know, does anybody know the Mr. Potato Head illustration? That might help me. Anybody remember that? How many do, have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hands. It's okay, you can raise your hands. This is for me. When I say Mr. Potato Head illustration, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Please raise your hand high. Oh, there's so many of you not playing. That was not helpful. <laughs> that was not helpful. Okay. I've used it a lot of times, but I use it. I bring him in and we build a little Mr. Potato Head. And it's an illustration of how we fashion God into our image. We want to make him a certain way. And I promise he just isn't. It's actually... I was praying about this this, uh, this week. I got, I got this guy in my life that I love. He's so far from God. And I hope I get a, I think I'm going to see him in a couple weeks and just wonder, Lord, what are you going to do in the conversation? I remember our last conversation of depth. It was two in the morning and it's actually got to the problem of evil. And he wants to, it's kind of like, oh, what do you Christians say about the, you know, like, how do you answer the question? We got no answer. We're just kind of talking. So anyway, as I'm praying for him this week, and I don't know that I'm going to do this, and I don't know that this was the Lord, but it might be. I like the Lord just saying, just have him go read the book of Job. No way! Are you kidding? I don't understand the book of Job. I, I don't care that God gives him these children in the end. You know what he lost? It's like, isn't the book of Job perplexing to you? Am I, I'm the only one? It's like, why would you? And then I'm thinking like, you know what? What's the book of Job about? You know, when you read the book of Job, there's a whole bunch of questions. But one thing you come away with is this. God is not like me. <laughs> he is not like me. And that's really what God's saying to Job. He's so much bigger. So much outside. And honestly, I keep trying to fashion him the way I want. I want him to do it the way I want. And all of a sudden, I don't even realize I'm making myself God over him. Isn't that what we do? All the time. There's all kinds of misconceptions about the kingdom of heaven. Can I just say to you, our misconceptions, it's not a problem for God. It's not like he's going, eh, they don't think about me, right? Nuts to you guys. It's not, that's not like a problem for him. Nobody thinks about him, right? Totally. We're going to get to heaven. We're going to be blown away of how little we knew and how immense he is. 
and how little I really worshiped him while I was on earth. But it's going to be joy. <laughs> We're going to be amazed. Our misconceptions are not an obstacle for God. Can I, how many of you have a pure motive? You've had a pure motive in your life? People go to me like, oh, they're just coming because of whatever, like they got a tainted motive. I'm like, yeah, all of us. I, this always happens with youth group. Oh, such and such is coming to youth group. I said, so who, who do they like? You know, it's a boy. What, 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 what girls do you like? And they go, like, what, what are you talking about? I said, they like a girl. Who, who's the girl? Like, I remember someone saying to me later on, like, you were right. How did you know? I was a teenage boy. That, I mean, it's, how do you know? It's like, but they're saying it like, oh, that's bad. I'm going, it's not bad. They just came. Like, God knows that. God takes things that aren't, he may, God takes evil and can turn it into good. Why do we, when I'd say, I'm just being a hypocrite judging someone's motive on that. It doesn't matter. None of our motives are pure, ever. They had all kinds of screwed up ideas of the kingdom of heaven. Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. It's, it's right here. And he's calling them to something. And it, that kind of preaching wasn't like common then but he's calling them to some kind of response. Now, I'm going to talk more about repentance later, but it's, it's a strong word that isn't a dramatic, it's a change that actually happens within. It's literally a change of my mind, how I think, change my heart, what I desire. How do you change that? How do you change your desires? It's a change of direction. I'm, 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 I'm this way, I'm depending on these, I'm turning right to him. It's all here. It's change of direction. It's complete. Let me say to you, it's a work of God, but there's a call to it. So we'll, we'll think about this more in the end. And that's essentially John's, the summary of John's message. Verse three, Matthew wants us to know that John's ministry, this is part of fulfilled prophecy. This is right out of Isaiah 40. So everybody knows the wings as eagles. One, you know that, you know that old, okay, that's, Isaiah, that's the end of Isaiah 40. Go home this afternoon and just read all of Isaiah 40. It's beautiful. It's God coming to his people. His people have been wayward. It's God's heart for his people and what he's going to do in his people. And it's, it's so God. We have such need of him and he's more immense. But this, the very beginning of it, verse three says this. It's what he's sending. It's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make the path straight. God sent John. We call John the Baptist. Yet, you look at what he's like. In verses four to six, it kind of describes John, describes the people, John's wardrobe, camel's hair, leather belt. I'm telling you, that was uncomfortable. Just think about it. Camel's hair, that's uncomfortable. Coarse, camel's hair, leather belt. He eats locust, wild hunt. Is anybody here eating a locust? I know we get some outdoorsmen. Locust, anybody eat a locust? What, what's this saying? We're supposed to dress, what's that saying? John, John is living like nobody else. He is pulled out of all that other normal life. So this isn't saying be like John, wear crazy clothes and eat crazy food. But John was, has, was separated from the rest of society. So a lot of scholars think, uh, has anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You know what those are? Okay. So the community that preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls, that wrote them, is, is the community, most scholars think that the Essenes, who had withdrawn from society, and that's why they were preserved. 
So it's the Old Testament scriptures they're copying very carefully. And you know that archaeologists predate them. They are before Christ. So in particular, the Isaiah scroll is very significant that it all archaeologists date it prior to Jesus being born. You read Isaiah 53 and you tell me who that's talking about. That's a prophetic word about Jesus. And we have the, the actual scrolls predated him that talks about that. But that community lived separate from society and kept these in these caves and preserved. And many scholars think that John was actually part of that community, which is, is possible. Don't know exactly, but he's not dressing like anybody else and he's gone out into the wilderness and it says the crowds are coming to him. Jerusalem, all, I mean, Matthew's the word, all, all Judea, all the region. It's not like every single person, but he's saying that it's a mob. Everybody's going, everybody knows about this. How does that happen? He's out in the wilderness. It's not a trade route. There's no social media. There's no radio. There's no newspaper. They're all out there. How, how do they get out there? The Holy Spirit brought him out there. God brought him out there. He, he, he doesn't need social media. He's fully capable of moving people when you can't expect it. And that's what he does. Moves them out there. It was they come out, it says they were baptized confessing their sins. That is, they're not simply curious. In some way, they're responding to John's preaching. And this preaching was, get ready. It was a preparing for Jesus to come. So whatever this confession of sins is, we'll probably talk more, but it, there's this no longer hiding. There's an agreement. I have this. I need, I want to move towards God. So confession is that. I think the gospel provides for that. It's not just simply we do, but it's, we're okay doing that. I'll come there in the end. Story goes on about verse seven. So that's kind of the introduction. The religious leaders show up from Jerusalem, the capital where the temple is, and the tension's rising now. There's something going on here. And again, so I think this breaks down into two ways. John prepares people for Jesus, one, by his warning and confrontation. Now, this is to the religious group. And then by his specific speaking of Jesus and his ministry. So he greets them in this way, you brood of vipers. Hope nobody got greeted that way today. That would not be quite the welcome we'd want. Why is he saying that? That's awkward. They're all coming in. He doesn't sell them leave. He just calls them a bunch of snakes. Why does he do that? Again, in terms of their role, in terms of the people, these are the ones they're supposed to be. They have the script. They're to be bringing the heart of God to people. That's not what they're bringing. Not at all. You get called a brood of vipers, you're probably ticked and leave, or you're probably too embarrassing to stay and listen. I think he had their attention with it. Now, I'm going to read 8 through 10. Thad, I think he gave you 8 and 9, and then I gave you 10 separate. But I'm going to read all the way through 10. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, no big deal. I'm going to, I'm going to read them all together, because I think there's three things that, he, that, he said, that he's speaking of here. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So there's three things essentially that John, that's part of his message here. So it's a, now this is to the religious leaders. He's elaborating on repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, but he says to them, first of all, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, words are easy. This is a little bit your um, faith and works, a little bit of James. Words are easy. Even confession is easy. Nope. Show it. If it's, if it's true, if there's true change here, it will be seen. It will be evidence. There will be change in you. So think with me in the gospels, stories, places where we know that and see that. There's lots of them. You'll think of um, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. That is, he's capitulating to the Roman government. He's betrayed his people. He's taking taxes from his own people. They hated the Romans. They occupied um, their territory. And he is able to charge much more than to do. So he's cheating people out of money. That's how his livelihood is gained. People hate him. So tax collectors were notorious in their parties, their wild living and all this. Jesus sees Zacchaeus, calls him and says, Zacchaeus, come on here. I'm going to your house. Jesus invites, he invites himself over. So Zacchaeus throws his party. He's got Jesus there. Now, in the narrative, I think it's in Luke, it doesn't even tell us what Jesus says. We don't know what, what he said around the table. Does he say anything? But what happens is Zacchaeus, there's a conviction. He's stolen money from people. He says, Jesus, today I'm giving back all the money to the people that I stole. It's this amount, and I'm going to give back 10 times as much. 10 times as much. I don't know how much money he had. I don't know how, how do you give back 10 times as much? But something, and remember Jesus' words there? Today, salvation has come to this house. So there's something in that. Zacchaeus is demonstrating repentance. And don't hear the story and say, like, you're supposed to, you know, Get back ten. I don't. It's not about that detail, but there's a there's a change that's happened in the guy, and we don't even see that Jesus told him to do that. That's fruit. In keeping with repentance, the the woman who who breaks this alabaster bottle and, and anoints Jesus' feet from this perfume that cost a year's worth of wages. What's I don't know what that is now. Forty thousand. I whatever. Wasted. The disciples, wasted the disciples, 40 grand right there on his feet, on the ground, wasted, could have been given to the poor. And Jesus says, nope. There's something of the worth of Jesus in the burial signifying he's going to be buried, his anointing and all that. And this was a woman whose reputation had been known before, totally ostracized, totally immoral, something going on here. No one tells her to do that. But I think it's a picture again of repentance. Repentance is a, it's deep. It's humbling. It's thorough. And there's a change of how one thinks, what one desires. It used to be these things I was clinging to. This is the one that matters. This is the one that matters. And there's a response, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Second thing he says, oh, I should mention this book. A uh, book that's helped me with this a lot. There's a very small Puritan paperback that's written in very it's good English by Thomas Watson. How, uh, how many have ever heard the name Thomas Watson? Okay. So some of you, some of you read his book on contentment, which is wonderful. Um, this one on repentance, I think, is good. I think it's actually easier to read than the one on contentment. 
but he's just a master in understanding regions of the heart. They, they call him the surgeons of the heart, and, and particularly repentance. I would commend it to you as a, as a great devotional read. Second thing, um, don't presume that you're a child of God. He says in verse 9, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. That's quite a thing, isn't it? So he's going like, you, you think because you're Jewish. You think because God gave your people the law. You think you're better than those guys. You think that Abraham's our father. We're the good guys, the Gentiles, the Roman, those guys. You don't, you, don't, you don't get around those. Those are the bad guys. Samaritans, they're, they're half-breeds. They, they're apostate. We're the, we're the good guys. You don't presume to think just because ethnically speaking, that's, that's where you are because your people have had this. I, I said this, I don't remember, a week or two ago. One of the things where the Jewish nation missed it and where the temple is, there to be the place demonstrating the light of God, calling the nations in. Just as in Matthew 5, he, he speaks of your good works, a city set on a hill, that's what we're to be. We're like, we're like, all this, it's all from God. All, anything good around me, it's from God. We want to point people to Jesus. They're like, they're taking pride in this thing. So here's, here's the deal. I'll just be frank. <clears throat> Religious people, however you want to define that word, one of the presumptions that we can have is that we're okay or that we're better than others. And we would not say that. But it's a difficulty that leaks into us in some way. We read something in the news or we see this person somewhere else. We think, man, they deserve what they're getting. Yet we do. It's the presuming we're okay just because. So my parents came to Christ I got exposed to the gospel as a child. What did I have to do with that? I didn't get to pick what family I came from. Justin got put in a whole different kind of, different kind of family. Pretty crazy family. But God got a hold of him post high school. Why him and not, why me and not my brother? I don't know how you explain any of that, except God can do it out of a stone. It's not something I've done here along the way? How do you make someone believe? How's that happen for you? So we don't, you won't hear us doing the decision thing, hey, make a decision for Jesus. I think there's a point of response. But because we want to put the emphasis on God is amazing in his grace and mercy, he calls people. He calls the undeserving. That's what he loves to do. He'll take the religious hypocrite and break them down. That's, that's the Apostle Paul, Saul. He'll break them down. He'll bring people to himself. There's nothing anyone here has done that's too far from God's grace. He can make a, a stone a child again. But what he's guarding is, don't presume you're in because, and friends, if, that, if they could have been guilty of that, why would we think I couldn't be? I could be. I don't, so this is, what he's saying is supposed to stir them to really think. And he called them brood of vipers. I mean, I, I'd, be th I'd be listening. It's just for us to think. The last thing that he says, he, he's warning about the judgment to come, verse 12, which sounds very harsh, but I would say to you, if it's true, it's kind to know the reality. 
there's a judgment coming. All right, last part. Faster. <clears throat> Preparing the way by pointing to Jesus. This is verse 11 and 12. Um, So in, in John's preparing the people to meet Jesus, he says some very important things to, for us to consider. I won't read it again, but he says in verse 11, he says, Jesus, the one coming, he's mightier than me and I'm not worthy to carry his sandal. So think about that for a moment. All the people are coming out. There's all kinds, thousands of people out there here in John. And he's saying, this guy coming later, he's mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to pick up his sandal to carry it. What's he saying? John gets some things right. Look at all his popularity. Matthew tells us it's all Jerusalem, Judea. He understands this, that he belongs to God. He belongs to God. He has a particular calling on his life and it's to point all attention to Jesus. John understood that our purpose it's to make much of Jesus, not us. He got that right. I must decrease. Jesus must increase. Now let me just pause for a moment and link that into us. I love his church. Oh, by the way, what I'm going to say is going to be really strong and I'm not thinking about anybody. Okay, seriously. I'm thinking about me if I'm thinking about anybody. It's easy whether you are paid or a volunteer to attach significance to ministry. It's nice to have people say nice things about you. Now, we, I, I think it's appropriate. We want to honor people. I think that's a good thing. I, I get stirred up by the examples of others. I want to call it out because I want people. But the other side is the me side, what I'm receiving. So here's where you know it. Where I know got it wrong when like, man, no one noticed that I... So I, if, if I get in that space... Or man, I wouldn't say it out loud, but I could have done that better. Or why did they do that? I won't say it out loud, but when I get in that space, boy, I got it backwards. John's got this. He wants to make much of Jesus. So no matter what we do, no matter what position we have, it can be what, anywhere outside the church. When I'm, I want to make much of Jesus. I want people to see Jesus. People could say nice things about you, but I want if they don't see him, did I get in the way of that? I want them to see him because he's the savior. He's the one who changes. I'm just, I'm just a dude. I'm just, just this. So all of us, uh, this is from Peter. I forget which verse I would say. We're, we're conduits, conduit here in electric, conduit of God's grace. God's the one who does the good. If there's any good in me, it's from him. We're going to bring that on. That's what we want people to see. They might make much of Jesus. There's a purpose for living. So we say, so I like this phrase probably been used the last 20 years. I like that phrase, you know, people talk about giving glory to God. Give, yeah, making much of Jesus. That it's actually truly so. John's doing that. John's doing that. Jesus is mightier. I'm not even worthy to take up a sandal. Second thing he says is that Jesus brings a different kind of baptism. My baptism, it's water for repentance. It's this kind of cleansing, preparing. His baptism, it's going to be the Holy Spirit and fire. What is that? Fire. You ever seen a fire that you ever ignored? Don't. 
What's he talking about here? So there's, there's metaphors going on with the baptism, right? Baptism, metaphor. One's cleansing, repentance, Holy Spirit, and fire. I mean, did Jesus baptize? Actually, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, tells us Jesus didn't baptize. His disciples did. He didn't. So what's the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire? You know where it is. Where is it? Oh, I'll actually at. Where, where, where's, the, where's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire? You can say the word. It was Pentecost. That's where it was. You, you remember Jesus' words? Uh, John 14. He says, I'm, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going back to the Father. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm sending you another helper, another counselor, another one to come along. So I'm sending him with you to be with you forever. He will be with you and he will be in you. That's what Jesus said. Thad, we got this one. We got Acts chapter one. This is how Luke writes it. This is right after, right before Jesus goes to heaven. He's been walking around earth for 40 days. He's with his disciples. While he's staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, wait for the promise of the Father. They had to wait a long time. Said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And you remember when it happens, chapter two of Acts, it's like they get little bunts and burners. There's a little flame of fire on there. That's the Holy Spirit in the fire. That's when it came. Okay, think about this. This is my thought this week. I'm thinking about it. Why is John saying that John's ministry is preparing people for who? It's, this is the right time. It's okay to say this word. John's ministry is preparing people for whom? Wow. It's not a trick question. Did I? John's ministry is preparing people for who? Jesus. That was still weak. I don't, I don't know what I did wrong here. Okay. Thank you. He's preparing them for Jesus. Okay. You know how Jesus is always the Sunday school answer? It's right in this case. John's ministry is preparing them for Jesus. Jesus is preparing the church for who? The Holy Spirit. Think about that. John, John here in his preaching, he's connecting. The one coming, he's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry a sandal. My baptism was, it was this water baptism for repentance. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. They got this expectation. What's, what's that? Jesus says, I'm going to send him to you. The Holy Spirit's coming. Luke, as he writes it right there, right before the ascension, quotes Jesus' words. It's just like John said. I don't think we pay attention to the ministry of the Holy Spirit enough. And that's right now for us. And I think it's connected to all this in terms of repentance, the journey, and all that. So let's, oh, never mind. Stop. There's a lot to think about there. Okay, the final thing that he says is that Jesus' ministry, it's going to divide people into those who are saved and those who are perishing. It's going, to, it's going to divide. It's the winnowing fork, the threshing floor, some of the wheat's coming in the barn, the chaff, it's going to be burned, and you can have whatever theory you want about, about hell. But when you read Jesus' words, he's very specific. He calls this going to be unquenchable fire. It's meant to be a serious thing here. And that could be another discussion for you and I, but it's Jesus' words. So, all this preaching, all this text, it should wake us up. It should prepare us. We should be going, I want to be ready for Jesus, don't you? Don't I want to be ready for him? So let's go back and think through. I've kind of dropped this in along the way. 
I just want to go back and highlight these, but I think you want to think this through with the Lord. I think you want to journal it. There's three things. Repentance is a way of life, a matter of the heart. We're going to think about that. We're going to think about making much of Jesus. Is that my life? We're going to think about the Holy Spirit, that, his role in my life. So I'm going to say this quickly in terms of repentance. So I think there's a connection between awareness of sin confession of sin and repentance, okay? I, there's many things we will not be aware of unless the Holy Spirit shows you. So I'm gonna make a, a bold statement that some of us won't like, but I'm making it with me as well. We all have pride in our life. Pride has different forms and it masks itself. Pride is the thing that will, 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 will keep us from so much of God. God will make us aware of that where that is. And any sin that you have in your life, when you become aware of it, if you desire to forsake it, I want to say, well, say two things. One is the awareness comes from the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged. If you want to forsake it, that comes from the Holy Spirit too. Because we don't want that. We justify all our shortcomings and sins. We explain why that's true because this person, do you know what this person did? That's why I did this. That's kind of the Adam Eve thing, you know? It's been in us since the garden. It's not helpful. But confession is this, it's basically agreeing with God. This thing's wrong. I don't want it. If that happens for you, that too's the Holy Spirit, which leads then to repentance. It just, and I would come and just ask the Lord for this. You remember the whole, Jesus tells the, the parable, hey, you fathers, you know how to give good things to your kids. You're not going to give them a snake if they ask for bread. I mean, how much more will your, whole, your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The power to change is all God's. It's his, his very spirit that he's given to the church. With us, he'll do that. You just ask him. You just ask him. God will, he wants, because that's what makes us this way. And the direct, there's direction change. There's things I used to go after, used to fill my life with. No. I went, I went this way. So think about that. I want to say to you also that I think repentance is more a, a continual thing. Many of us think about it as initially I repent and now I got my ticket to heaven. It, it's just not the language of scripture. So there are all the times around this week, there'll be a point in your life where you're like, ooh, that wasn't good. And if you think that it's the Holy Spirit, let the Spirit continue to work for that moment of confession and repentance. The gospel frees us for that. We are, we are no longer need to hide. This is actually how change happens. Renouncing this path, going to this path. Ignoring it is no good for you. Ignoring it quenches the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to be plunged in, baptized by all the way? Or sprinkled. Sorry, that's a bad joke. <clears throat> that's the metaphor. Holy Spirit's ministry. Okay. And then he says, uh, da, 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 da. yeah. I'll just say, so I think, I think our daily relational changes are incredible opportunities to practice the gospel because they push on us. I'll just end with these questions. You know what? When we have the worship team come up, can you play instrumentally? So let me just, I'm just going to throw some things out just to have you think through. If you want these written, just write the office. Let's close our eyes.
Maybe you're just going to even ask the Lord these things. Do you, do you have a desire for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to grow within you? That's what this whole book's about. Do you desire to be changed by God? Or do you resist repentance? Do you want to resist it? How do, you, how do you see your walk with Christ? Do you have a desire or an orientation to make much of him? Or do you tend to feel better when people make much of you? Where do you want to be? Jesus was, his ministry, what he's preparing us for is the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you want to make room for the Holy Spirit in your life? plunged, big dose, not a small dose. Lord, may this, this your word, may it provoke us toward Jesus. May it prepare us for him. Do your work in us, we pray, as we give you thanks. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.